This is today's song, Mary's song. Before we look at it, I just want to say this is an odd season. That's been said a few times, if not a few thousand times. Um, it is an unusual season for all of us and lots of things we're missing right now. Lots of things. Um, and while some things are slowly, intensively trying to open, they're not opening quite as they were before. One of the things I heard last week was actually really sad um is i heard that the phantom of the opera did you hear this is closing in the west end after 34 years because of coronavirus has pretty much put an end to that one and i was thinking that's almost my entire lifetime that's been there so these are big days i mean that's just one tiny little example of all the things that are changing but let me focus on musicals for a moment because it made me think about musicals um do you like musicals what was the last musical you went to see? Think about it. What was it? Was it the last musical you might think? I've never been seen a musical, Matthew. I'm far too uh, educated for such things. I don't know. I don't know. Um, are musicals highbrow or not? I have no idea. Um, but they're, they're, they're good. They're really good. But what is the last song you found yourself singing from a musical? Now, that I bet all of us could actually answer, even if we've never seen a musical. The truth is, Many of us, whether we like musicals or not, whether we go and see them or not, almost all of us collectively know so many of the songs from these musicals, don't we? We just know so many of them. So if I would start singing, uh, can you name that musical? So here we go. This is a mini name that musical quiz for you guys at home. What if I sung this? Slowly, gently, night unfurls its splendor. Have you got it? The power of the music of the night. Yes, it is Phantom of the Opera. All right, here's another one. Don't cry for me, Argentina. Have you got that one? That's Evita, made into a movie as well. Um, here's one. I closed my eyes, drew back the curtains, whoa, to see for certain. It's not quite the same with just me singing it on my own, is it? Um, Jason Donovan sung that famously. Uh, that is Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat. Right, here's one for the kids. Technically not a musical, but if my kids are still listening in in the other room, which I think they are, what musical movie does this come from? Let it go, let it go. Do you know that one at home? You're thinking, Matt. What's that one? Uh, what is it called? Uh, Frozen. <laughs> I nearly forgot it. Frozen. That's from Frozen, which is a musical Disney film. There you go, kids. That one's for you. Um, what about this one? As long as he needs me. Do you know that one? Same from the same musical as Food, Glorious Food. Yep, that is Oliver! Exclamation mark. And here's the last one then. Do you hear the people sing, singing the song of angry men? It is the music of a people who will not be slaves again. Do you know that one? Yeah, that one is an awesome one. Les Miserables. Absolutely. There you go. That's enough of me singing. Forgive me. You can cut that. Never watch that again. But at least we had some fun naming those musicals. Um I'll be honest, I like musicals, but I've never been 100% sure of them. I find it a little bit funny, really, that ordinary people just walking down the street and suddenly burst into song. Ripe strawberries, ripe. I often wonder what it's like, um, what that would be like in real life if we all 
went around suddenly burst into song, which I do do sometimes. I think we should all do that sometimes. Um, but whatever you think about musicals, I wonder, you may have never noticed. Here's something interesting about the Bible. But there are times when characters in the Bible burst into song. I wonder if you've noticed it. In the Old Testament, Moses had a habit of doing it at significant moments. He was so stirred at certain moments that in the text, the text record him as penning a song spontaneously or prepared. We're not sure, but he sings there. And many others did it too. Miriam, Deborah, David, Solomon, many more. So I reckon there are over 185 songs in the Bible. Yes, lots of them are the Psalms, but there are lots of others too. You may think singing songs is just like a nice additional extra to our faith. It's not, you know, not really very necessary. But actually, if we go back historically, it's always been a crucial ingredient. From the beginning, God's people have always been a singing people. Even if you couldn't sing in tune, that doesn't matter, just so you know. So much so that on the night he was betrayed, the Bible records that Jesus and his disciples sang a song before he left for Gethsemane. The night he was arrested. And Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he tells them to get singing. Encourage each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, he says. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. You see, songs are actually a really important part of culture in general. It said you can tell a country's culture from the songs it sings because songs pass on truth, don't they? They tell stories. They draw people into deep memories. They pull together communities and shape identities. And that's true for us as a Christian community as well. But actually, for us as a Christian community, our songs are way more than that. It's all of those things. And because when we sing together, we're worshipping as a community together. And lots of extraordinary things are actually happening as we do that. We are encouraging one another. When we're all joined together, which we can't do now, but when we sing together and you hear your brothers and sisters' voices, maybe they sound lovely and maybe they don't, that does not matter. But sometimes you won't be able to join in that song because you'll be feeling weak. Your faith will be struggling. You might feel exhausted. But you are held and you are lifted by your brothers and sisters singing the truth about our God, even when you can't do it. And when we sing our songs of adoration to Jesus, we're not just singing to an empty room. But actually, the Bible says that the Lord inhabits the praise of his people. We are building our relationship with Jesus. We're using the language of love to express that relationship. And he draws near. And also, amazingly, when we sing, as God's people in worship, we're actually engaging in a prophetic act. What I mean by that is that we're joining in with the angels of heaven and declaring the truth and reality today of what is yet to come. That final day when heaven and earth will meet, when God will wipe every tear from our eyes, there will be no more suffering and Jesus will be Lord of all and recognised as such. When we worship, something of the reality of heaven breaks into earth now. The reality of the kingdom to come breaks into this broken world now. And so worship is hugely uh, significant for us as Christians. Singing is. 
Um, whether we can sing in tune or not, whether the band can play in time or not, whether it's on a guitar or an organ or a didgeridoo, it doesn't matter. Okay, Uh, we're people who sing the songs of God and sing our adoration, who sing of his truth and his mercy and his love. And perhaps one of the things I have missed most of all of us not being together as a church is joining our voices together and lifting them up in song as the Holy Spirit moves amongst us and lifts our hearts and souls and inspires us. Our communal singing has been stopped for now. We do our best here on a Sunday morning. It's partly why we've improved the quality this morning, which I hope you can tell. But it's still not the same. And you may wonder, Matt, why on earth have you chosen a series on songs, summer songs for the soul, when we can't sing them together? You may may feel like God's people when they were in Babylon. If you remember in exile, Psalm 137, their oppressors taunted them. Go on, sing your songs. And they just replied, well, how can we sing our songs of the Lord? While in a foreign land, their song had stopped. And how can we sing our songs when all that's going on around us is going on, when we can't even meet? But the truth is, it's my belief that our songs must continue. What you and I sing in this season matters. For though we're struggling now, this season will pass. It will pass. It may be a while yet, but it will pass. And whilst we may feel distant or disconnected, Our God is near and he's with us. Whilst we may mourn and grieve, our God will one day wipe every tear from our eyes. Sometimes our songs are going to be songs of celebration. Sometimes they might be songs of lament and struggle. But until that day comes, even as we struggle, we're still a people of song. With a song of hope and love to sing, to carry and sustain us that the world needs to hear. And to bring worship to our God. So although we're not in our building, we will still sing <laughs> in our homes, in our cars, online as best as we're able. And this isn't about whether you like singing. Honestly, it's really not about that. Or can sing, as I've said, in tune. It's not about that. This is about us choosing to celebrate Jesus, to adore Jesus, to grow in our relationship with Jesus, to cry out to Jesus, be comforted by Jesus. We lift up our songs of worship as a community scattered right now, but who will one day be gathered again? And so each week we're going to take a really brief look at one of the moments where the Bible bursts into song and see what we can learn and how we might sing that song in this season. Mig started last week with the shortest song in the Bible. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. A couple of weeks time, Andrew Wallace will preach on the very first song in the Bible, Moses song in Exodus 15, song of deliverance from slavery. But this morning, just for a few minutes, I want to take us to what might be the youngest person to sing out a song in the Bible. It's a song sung by seemingly one of the most insignificant people in the Bible. At first looks, this is just a young peasant girl who sings a song. I want us to take a very simple look at Mary's song. Now, most of us will know the setting. This young peasant girl from humble beginnings, she's engaged to marry Joseph, a carpenter. She's expecting to live the simple life of a carpenter's wife. She will cook, she will clean, she will raise children, she will chat with her neighbours. It's not much to sing and shout about, nothing extraordinary, but that was all going to change. Mary is told by an angel of the Lord that she, yes, she is pregnant 
with God's own son. God has drawn near and is drawing near to the world in a way he's never done ever before. He's coming. He's drawing near. And you're going to be his mum. You're going to be the, the mother of the Messiah. The chosen one who's going to save this world and bring hope to people in darkness. I can't imagine how it would have felt for this young girl. Undoubtedly confused, excited, overwhelmed, she travels and visits her cousin Elizabeth. I'm guessing for practical and emotional support in it all. And as soon as Mary greets her, Elizabeth's own baby, she is pregnant with John the Baptist. Uh, he jumps in the womb. And Elizabeth prophesies over Mary and she, that she is blessed above all women for she's the mother of our Lord. To be the mother of the Messiah would have been seen as an honour of unimaginable height. And it is at this very moment, this meeting moment with Elizabeth, that the Bible records Mary herself breaking into song. It becomes a musical, if you like, just for a moment. It's as if she can hold it in no longer. And a song wells up in this ordinary young girl from within her and she declares my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my saviour she starts it's fascinating what she says here if we look really quickly at it she says her soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord makes bigger the Lord and her spirit rejoices you see, sometimes our spiritual songs as believers come from deep within us and bursting out like a spring. Our spirit, that innermost core within all of us that longs for a connection with God and is, stir and is stirred by things eternal. Our spirit is touched by God's presence, by his spirit and his truth in a profound way. And it begins rejoicing within us. And then our soul and it's kind of unclear quite what the Bible means. It's a spirit or soul. There's lots and lots of um, ideas about what this might mean. But really, the soul is our emotions. It's our consciousness. It's that part about us that's me and you. Our soul then catches up with this excitement in our spirit, this touch in our spirit and longs to put expression to what we feel deep within. Touched by the Holy Spirit, Mary's spirit is now rejoicing within her and her soul, her feelings, her emotions and words now magnify or make great in her expression the wonderful truths of God with song. I wonder if you've ever experienced these moments. You may not have, but you may have. Where God's spirit stirs deep within you and you cannot help but speak it out or praise it out in song. It's like we can't help it. It just wants to burst out of us sometimes and... Jesus said, he said, those who have the Holy Spirit, springs of living water will flow from deep within them. The Spirit touches our spirit, dwells within us, and from us comes a song of praise and adoration. Yet perhaps you're not feeling like that right now. Yes, you love Jesus, and yes, you are filled with his Spirit, but right now you are downcast. I don't know. Maybe you're struggling or tired or missing many things. Maybe it's a difficult season with work and worries. It's sometimes the very best songs start the other way round. The song begins as a choice. We let the walls down of our soul and we choose to sing the truth about our God on our lips and to magnify and make great our expressions of him. And when we do that, we can find that our emotions and our affections are once again stirred by these truths. 
which in turn speaks to and lifts our spirit deep within. We sing the truth even though we're unsure if we believe it sometimes. We're reminded that it is true. We raise a hallelujah. As Sarah was saying, even in the midst of the battle, we praise even when we feel downcast. And the truth moves from our lips to our heart and our innermost being rejoices once again. This isn't denial. This isn't sticking your fingers in, pretending everything's okay. This is singing the truth of our God, choosing to declare his truth. And letting that impact us and change us right now in this season. So I want to say to you, don't give up singing in this time, friends. Even if you can't sing a note in tune, fourth time I've said it, because I know some of you out there probably can't. Doesn't matter at all. Sing out the songs of praise and worship anyway. If you think that might offend the neighbours, then grab a hymn book or look the lyrics on up loud uh, uh, online and read them out loud. Lift your spirit again and rejoice. But here in Mary's song. We find that this song comes from her overflow so naturally from a rejoicing deep within. And drawing on songs of old, other biblical songs, she's probably learnt them from the scriptures as a child. She's been taught them. She uses part of Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2, Leah's song in Genesis 30. She now makes them her own, joins them together, puts her own words to them. And there are three simple things I want us or you and me to take from this song to ponder on today. These are short Simple things. I don't know, Richard, if you're able to bring a banner up with them as I say them. Don't panic if you can't, um, just because I've not told you what the, the uh, titles are. But the first thing that's really simple is she starts by declaring something incredible. That the God of all heaven and earth is actually mindful of her. He is mindful of us. If you can bring that up or write that down, um, he is mindful of us. It's the first thing I just want you to take away this morning my soul glorifies the lord and my spirit rejoices in god my savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant from now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me holy is his name so the first simple thing i want you to take from this song today in this season is that god is mindful of you This ordinary little poor peasant girl, honestly, she realises that the mighty one has been watching over her. The Greek word translated mindful here means taking special notice, looking upon with focused attention, giving special regard to. Even though I'm nothing in the world's eyes, she's saying, my humble status, I will forever be called blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me. Even though holy is his name. Set apart, untouchable, perfect in every way, far and above all humanity. Holy is he, and yet he has stooped down to bless and provide for me. I simply want to say to each and every one of you tuned in this morning, God is mindful of you. He gives special regard to you during all that's going on. Through all this COVID time, he looks upon you with focused attention. Perhaps one of the most lovely ways of understanding what it feels like to be a Christian, to have that relationship with God, to be set free, saved, forgiven, have the hope that only comes from God. Perhaps one of the most lovely ways of understanding it is to know that you're living a life now lovingly watched over by your heavenly father. That He is now your shepherd, as I read at the beginning. Leading, guiding, taking notice, caring, blessing each and every day. A life watched over in care and love. 
when things are good, when things are not. You see, there's so many moments where we forget him, where we're not mindful of him. But there's not one moment that goes by where he's not mindful of you. Right now. Think about where you're sat. Think about your home, your front room, the mess of your house or the cleanness of your house, the tidiness, the chaos, whatever it might be. Sat in a caravan somewhere. Sat in a tent, tuned in on your phone. I don't know where you are. But God does. He's mindful of you. For those fearful, he is mindful of you. For those stressed, he's mindful of you. If you're lonely right now in this season, he's mindful of you. If you're concerned about jobs and employment, he's mindful of you. If you're exhausted, he's mindful of you. If you're on the edge of Christianity, wondering if God really is there and really does love you too, I want to say he is mindful of you. He gives you special regard and he has done great things for each and every one of us. Indeed, no one has ever done anything greater for you and for me than when God came and humbled himself to our humanity, entered our broken world through the womb of a seemingly insignificant peasant girl called Mary, living the perfect life we could not live and dying the death and taking the consequences that we deserved, paying for all our guilt, sin and shame, and then rising again, busting death apart to set us free, to win our forgiveness, to show us how much we're loved. Don't doubt it, friends. In this season, however long it will go on, God is mindful of you right now. And he has done great things for you. The second really simple thing I want us to think about from this song is that he lifts up the humble. I don't know if you can bring that up, Richard, or scribble that down on your notes at home. He lifts up the humble. The second thing to take is that God isn't impressed by the proud. He's not looking for the confident or the sorted or the mighty. He's not wooed by wealth and riches and power. He's the God who lifts up the humble, broken, the ordinary, the nothing special, the you and the me. Mary writes this, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. Our God is more mighty, more awesome, more powerful, more glorious than all the might and beauty and glory of this world and universe combined. His holiness is so pure and perfect that no one could stand in his presence. And yet, instead of flaunting his glory and judging us harshly, he is the God who shows grace upon grace and mercy after mercy to those who fear him. But we're not supposed to fear God. Are we, Matt? I hear you say. Isn't that an Old Testament thing? Well, no. It's there over and over again in the New Testament, too. So what does it mean? Well, Jesus taught us plainly, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but not the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both in the valley of the dead. And you think, crumbs, did Jesus really say that? Yeah, he did. He did. But as soon as those words left his mouth, he says this. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. 
You are worth more than many sparrows. Fear God, but don't be afraid. Put God in his right place. Honour him, respect him. When we see a world that doesn't fear God, we see a world that is arrogant and does things its own way with no regard and no consequences and no eternal judgment or consequences. But when we fear him, we realise he is the Lord. He's in charge. We rightly honour him. But because of Jesus, we don't need to be afraid. Perfect love casts out fear. So don't for a second think that we can swan up to God in our own strength. Bowl over to him thinking we've got it all sorted. We've worked it all all out. That we can demand our rights. He's just a pushover. No, come down off your high horse before you fall. For with that attitude, we only face judgment. He scatters those who are proud in those inmost thoughts, brings down so-called rulers from their thrones and sends away the rich empty handed. But come humbly as a child to a father, as a sinner in need of a savior, as a peasant in want of food. And you will find a love deeper than the deepest ocean. Grace that never runs dry an acceptance and value and hope and purpose that will change your life forever. It really will. It really will. These are not just words I'm saying. This is the testimony of God's people for over 2,000 years. It's my testimony, the testimony of all who've put their hope in Jesus. Come to him in humility with a proper realisation of who he is, bringing respect and honour and gratitude to him, and you will find that he will lift your head. He will give you true dignity. He will show you your eternal purpose. He will surround you with his love. I wonder if it's time to humble yourself this morning before God. You might think you can stand before God. I've got this all sorted. I'm right. But no. We pale into insignificance before him. And so do all our grand schemes and our intelligence and power and philosophies. That's not to say That we should become just ignorant or stupid or be anti-intellectuals. Not at all. There are deep and real questions we should ask and explore about God. We should keep exploring science and theology and technology and education and sociology and ecology and every other ology you can think of. There's so much to discover in this world that he's gifted to us to gain and to grow in all of which God celebrates, enables and encourages as part of this enormous universe he's made and the brains and skills he's given us. So many Christian scientists are inspired by their faith, not put off by it, to discover more of God's fingerprint at work in this amazing universe. Yet the truth is, we can bring every philosophy, weapon, wisdom and scheme of man and it all falls before him. If we rely on them before God, then we fall too. Yet the humble, they stand. Those who put their trust in Jesus like a child, they're lifted up. I don't have all the answers. And I don't think Mary did either. But she knew that God had seen her humble state. And lifted her up and blessed her. And with a childlike faith, she trusted him. And that's the childlike faith that underneath it all we are called to too. So perhaps in this season, it's time to repent of our arrogance a bit, our pride, our my way attitude, our certainty that we've got it all right without God. And to let God lift us up again, to listen to his truth, to turn to Jesus. If we're standing on a man-made platform of our own making, then let us move this morning 
to the only rock that will last for all eternity, the one that will never shake and never fail, the only firm foundation, the cornerstone, Jesus. Let us humble ourselves before him and put our faith in him alone, his ways, not ours. The foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, the Bible says. The weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. He chose to love us, to die for us on a cross, to come down to us and to fill us even now with his Holy Spirit, to enter into a friendship with us. This incredible God gives it all just to reach us and save us. And the final thing, and this one's only a sentence or two just before we sing our finished, finishing song today, is really simple. He helps, he remembers, he is merciful forever. Brings us to the final verses of Mary's song. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And so we remember and sing with Mary, he helps, he remembers, he is merciful forever. But this is our God, the humble king, this epic ruler over all rulers. He's mindful of me and he's mindful of you. He lowers himself to reach me. He lowers himself to reach you. And he lifts us up in his grace and his mercy and his love. This is our God. And that's the song I want us to sing now this morning as we finish. Oh, what a mystery. Meekness and majesty. Bow down and worship for this is your God. This is your God. This song is pretty much the same age as Phantom of the Opera. It's 34 years old, 1986. The opera may have been longer, but however long Phantom of the Opera has been running in London. But this song's been going for the same amount of time. And it's an amazing song that captures the truth, I think, and reflects and picks up on so much of Mary's song here. And it's the song I hope gets in your head this week that you will be able to sing out. So let's let Mary's song be our song as we sing this together this morning. Let's sing, bow down and worship meekness and majesty. <laughs>